Good afternoon and good morning, and welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. Let's call Raj and get today's show on the road. This is my Facebook calling song. Good morning. I uh, slept. I'm awake. Happy Tuesday. Happy and, Tuesday. Hey, let's get my camera on. Yep. All right, let me... Adjust yourself. Let me get some headlines and I'll be ready, I guess. What's going on today in the world? What's going to open a new story? I don't want to see that. I mean, it's opening a video. Uh, pause. We don't want that. I think there's one. What's we got going on in this world today? That's a disturbing story. All right. The world is disturbing. And if every story needs story. The world is disturbing. Okay, I'm gonna have an opinion piece. I'm gonna read that third. And let's see what else is going on. Do you have three stories? Alright, go ahead and start reading them. Alright, today on Before Coffee. At least 108 police injured and 291 held in May Day protest in cities across France. Tear gas fire aimed amid clashes as unions turned transitional marches or traditional marches into anti-government protests against the pension reform. Kinda knew this would happen. I'm not surprised. Uh, at least six dead in major dust storm on major highway. Many Europeans want climate action, but less so if it changes their lifestyle, polls say. And why First Republic failed, are other banks to follow? They don't know how they are viewed here. Russians in Georgia revive old tension. And the governor of Texas is an asshole. Let's count the ways. And also, there's other news today on the May 2nd, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. I'm going to be a little bit more concise. Like oh, right. Concise. Yeah. Conciseness is our goal for today. And with that, mm. let's talk about how the French protested on May Day, which is expected because it's the protest day, and oh. they're still angry about the pension changes. French police fired tear gas and clashed with demonstrators in Paris and other cities on Monday after trade unions transformed their traditional Labor Day march into an anti-government demonstration against the rise of the retirement age. At least 108 police were wounded and 291 police detained across France as violence erupted in several cities on the sidelines of the main union-led marches. Interior Minister Harold Darmanin said in Paris, 25 police were injured and 111 people were detained. 
Only one police officer suffered serious burns to his hand and face after being hit by a petrol bomb. Dead. Darmanin condemned protests he described as being from the far left, known as Black Blocks, saying they numbered around 2,000 in Paris and another 1,000 in southeastern city of Lyon. He urged that those who attack the police and public property should be severely punished. Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne praised their earlier marches and said the responsible attitude shown earlier, earlier made the violence all the more unacceptable. In Paris, the trade union-led demonstrations began peacefully, with many families joining in, holding banners calling for social justice and demanding Macron resign from and withdraw his law to raise the minimum eligible pension age from four. This is how all governments try to discount you, by the way. You were violent, so everything you stand for doesn't matter anymore. When, you know, most governments actually react in violence, right? Calling the police. Starting a war. Uh, that's the government's uh, language, but when you use their language, that's bad. Right. <laughs> you can't speak our language. We're the only yeah. one allowed to do that. Uh, You're rabble. Yeah. Stop it, rabble. But on the edge of the march, as it passed through Paris, 11th arrondissement, police fired tear gas and clashed with groups of young men dressed in black. Projectiles, bins, and petrol bombs were thrown at the police. Some Paris bus stops and shop fronts were smashed and gratified with anti-police slogans. There was also unrest in Lyon, where several cars were set alight and the windows of some businesses were smashed. Marseille, a group of more than 100 demonstrators, briefly occupied a luxury hotel near the old port before being pushed back by the police. The interior minister, Darmanin, tweeted the that while the great majority of demonstrators were all forced peaceful in Paris, Lyon, and Nantes, police had faced extremely violent rioters who had one, who had one objective, kill a police officer and steal property. He said the violence should be condemned. In separate protests, environmental activists from Extinction Rebellion sprayed orange paint on the facade of the Foundation Louis Vuitton Museum in Paris, which is backed by the luxury good giant, well, Louis Vuitton. A different yeah, environmental protest. in the world, actually. Yeah. A different environmental protest group sprayed orange paint around the place. Place Vendome in central Paris, known for its jewelry shops, and target the facade of the Justice Ministry. Far right leader Mar Le Pen, whose national rally is the biggest opposition party in Parliament, held a May Day gathering in Normandy, port of La Harve. Accusing Macron of stroking tensions in society. Macron's sentence grouping lacks an absolute majority in parliament, making it hard for the government to push through new legislation after the row over pensions. After three months of an instrument strike and demonstrations against the pension law, the government is also struggling to re-engage with voters. Centrist Fran Francois Bayrou, whose movement Democrat Party Odem is allied with the Macron's parliamentary group, said France needed healing and reconciliation. That the pension law had been badly explained by politicians. I don't think it's specific to France, but public opinion and French people no longer tolerate decisions being made far away from them without being informed of the reasons for those decisions, he told French Radio. That's true. I'm sure they have the reasons, but they weren't given. They were just like, we're raising the age. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, once you, once you, and what you're really protesting, let us, let us French explain it to you. <laughs> Uh, well, that's the end of the article. So. Oh, okay. Your well, story. All, right. all in horrible hellscape news. 
<laughs> so I'm looking at the picture, sorry. Oh, here we go with the, go with the gigantic banner ad at the top, so I can't read anything. All right, way to go. If you scroll enough, it disappears. All right, 72 vehicles were involved in the crashes. That's crazy. At least six people were killed on Monday when a dust storm caused more than 70 vehicles to crash along a major highway in central Illinois. Illinois. Illinois, officials said. The crashes along Interstate 55, which is a kind of a north-south corridor uh, in Illinois, uh, that follows the old Route 66 route. The crashes along Interstate 55 happened shortly before 11 a.m. Central Time in Montgomery and Sagamon counties, south of the state capital, after dust from newly plowed fields took over the highway, police said. Farmers killing people. There we are. The state capital, Springfield, is in Sagamon County. Six people were killed, 37 people were hospitalized. The injuries ranged from minor life-threatening minor to life threatening. Illinois State Police said those injured in the wrecks ranged from age from 2 to 80 years old. Illinois State Police Major Ryan Starick said of those killed in the wrecks, one of those killed in the wrecks was Shirley Harper, 88, of Franklin, Wisconsin. Police said Monday evening. Officials were still working to identify five others. Killed and notify their families. Well, apparently Shirley Harper's family knows already. 72 vehicles were involved in the crashes which happened along the two-mile stretch of I-55. We're repeating the same thing. Hey, CNN, we've already covered that. The wrecks happened in both north and south of the lanes, but all the deaths were reported in North Juan lanes, he said. The interstate in southern Sagamon and northern Montgomery Carnage and lane closed officials uh, in this gate cleared vehicles. Uh... The cause of the crash is due to excessive winds blowing dirt from farm fields across the highway, leading to zero visibility, Illinois State Police said in the news release. CNN meteorologist Chad Myers said 45 mile an hour winds picked up the dust and suddenly made it near impossible to see a short stretch of highway. The deciding factor today was the tilled fields, he said. This is a difficult event. This was a localized event by localized conditions. You notice nobody's like specifically blaming the farmers, like, you know? Yeah. But sometimes you just get a free pass for being a farmer. It's like, hey, dumbasses, stop stirring up so much dust. People are trying to live lives out here, you know? And of course, they're just, they're just giant corporate farms anyway. You're not picking <laughs> on some small farmer. You're not picking on some, yeah. you know, Jedediah with, you know, the, the, the horses hitched up. You're not complaining about him. You're complaining about these giant 80 combines at once stirring up dust all at once. That's what you're complaining about. Yeah, that's but the same problem about... in the Netherlands, right? They were like, ah, oh, yeah. they're going to make us get rid of how many cows we can have. It's like, the only people who have that many cows aren't even real farmers. They're just... Oh, yeah, guys who own land. People, <laughs> it's sucking us dry and not paying any taxes. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And literally sucking us dry because these rich farmers get the water. They get the subsidized water. Yeah. Yeah. And so there you go. Literally sucking us dry, blowing dust everywhere, and never getting the blame. Well, conditions! Conditions! Uh, no. No, it wasn't conditions. It was completely preventable if these people would say, you know what? We probably shouldn't stir up a whole bunch of dust today. 
I'm sorry, man. You gotta throw the, you gotta throw the blame at who did it, not sit there and ask like it was a weather. It was oh, it was a weather. Arr. No, no. What? <laughs> as far weather as they, should, they should know better, people. because what? weather is their job, really. So. Yeah. Yep, photos from the wreck show a thick yellow haze in the air mixing up, hanging over the highway. The image show vehicles on fire and smoke mixing with the haze as first responders surrendered damage. Kevin Schott, director of Montgomery's County Emergency Management, said the first response was a difficult time responding to the scene due to the lack of thick dust and noting everyone's eyes are full of it. This is a difficult scene that is very hard to train for, something we really haven't experienced locally. Hmm. I think we'd be making the farmer. <laughs> Who stirred up the dust? I don't care. Rich, poor, whatever. You gotta blame them. Sorry, man. They had a blowing dust warning. They did have that. And the winds are blowing 30 to 45 miles an hour. I know if I start a fire in a, yeah. in a windstorm, I'm going to prison. I was literally about so, to use that example. It's like yeah. said, it's like starting a bonfire in high winds and being like, everyone's exactly. house is caught on fire? How did this I happen? I don't know how. I don't know what's throwing up all this dust caused that. Okay, you're sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, fam I famously remember working on a shoot for an independent film, and they were wanted a bonfire scene, and then they were like, the winds are too high. So we nah, can't actually we are... do that. Oh, my camera is oh, having a mental breakdown. But, uh... Plus, you have, you have fire <laughs> regulations, too, right? Yeah, it's That's like, we can't, sorry, we don't want to start this guy's farm on fire, so we're not going to do the bonfire scene. <laughs> Easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in really European, more European news, many Europeans want climate action, but less so if it changes their lifestyle, shows a poll. Exclusive YouGov survey in seven countries tested, for, tested backing for government and individual action on crisis. Many Europeans are alarmed by the climate crisis and would willingly take personal steps and back government policies to help combat it, a survey suggests, but the more measures would change their lifestyle, the less they support it. Seven country YouGov survey tested backing for state level climate action such as banning single use plastics, scrapping fossil fuel cars, and individual initiatives including buying only secondhand clothes and giving up meat and dairy products. Response from the UK, France, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Spain, and Italy suggested many people were happy with the measures that would not greatly affect the way they lived their lives, but bigger steps that made them. Well, bigger steps that may be necessary were unpopular. Large majorities in all the countries surveyed ranging from 60% in Sweden, 63% in Germany, 65 in the UK, 77 in Spain, 79 in France, and 81% in Italy said they were very or fairly worried about the climate change and its effects. Broadly similar percentages said the climate was changing because of human activity, with fewer than 20% of respondents in most countries saying climate change is not due to human activity, and a maximum of 5% denying it's even happening. There was also a strong support of between 76 to 85% for the view that all countries would be more effective at tackling climate change if they worked together with others, but less agreement about what exactly individuals are willing to do about it. Measures entailing no, no great lifestyle sacrifices were popular, with between 45% in Germany and 72% in Spain backing government tree planting programs and 60% in Spain and 77% in the UK saying they would, would grow more plants themselves or doing it already. Between 40% Denmark and 50% UK, Spain, and Italy of respondents would happily never buy products made of single-use plastic again, while between 63% Sweden and 75% Spain would support a government ban on them. And then there's a light, nice little graph that I won't be showing you. Uh, and similarly... <laughs> 
There was a fairly solid support from okay. 20% in Germany to 43% in Italy for the idea of limiting meat and dairy intake to two or three meals a week. Between 24% and 48% would back government legislation to that effect. I don't know if you can governly mandate people's diets like that, per se, unless, unless you're like, it's Friday, put out the meat, and then after Friday you just <laughs> put, it, put it all in storage or something. Okay, it's Tuesday. Put out the meat. You know, <laughs> like I, I guess that's what they could do. It's like something the sound the town crier could yell. Yeah, meat right day. Meat. meat day. <laughs> Get your meat. Unsurprisingly, government subsidies to make homes more energy efficient were widely popular, with support ranging from 86% in Spain to 67% in Germany. Even more radical proposals, such as voluntary eating, no more meat and dairy, and having fewer children than you would like, were supported but barely between 10% and 19%, and 9% and 70%. So basically, that's too much. Buying secondhand clothes? Okay. Well, not okay, actually. In the, for, for frequent flyer levies, and buying secondhand clothes is really low, 39% and 17%. At the lowest. That stuff is too life-changing. Regions of car use, a major contribution to carbon emissions in an area in which many European governments are largely legislating, also drew responses that showed a close correlation to the impact they might have on people's lives. That's where they would be willing to switch to an electric car, an average of just under a third of respondents across the seven countries surveyed, ranging from 90% in Germany through 30% in Denmark to 40% Italy, answered positively. Responses were more varied when it came to giving up driving altogether in favor of using public transport, walking, or cycling. In France, Spain, and Italy, 34%, 44%, 40% respectfully said they would be willing to make the move. Support was lower in Britain and Germany and Denmark. Although French and Germans said they already walked, cycled, or used public transport rather than driving. An obligatory increase in fuel duty, however, and government legislation banning the production and sale of petrol and diesel calls outright were not popular. Those opposed to paying more fuel tax outnumbered those in favor of all in all countries. And asked what they thought of the ban on fossil fuel cars, only in Spain and Italy were more people happy with the idea than opposed to it. With the level of opposition in countries such as France and Germany, more than 6% almost double in support. So, some people are like, yeah, get rid of the cars altogether. But, uh, or fossil fuel cars. Right. Well, you gotta call I mean, it. You gotta... Obviously, they didn't ask my country, but there's electric car depot, like charging stations all over the freaking place here. It's really not oh, that yeah. big of a deal. No. They're building like crazy in the United States, too, especially since Elon Musk is very, very wealthy and he wants to throw these things everywhere and he owns Tesla. So. Well, yeah, the other thing is uh, when it comes to electric cars, I mean, they're very similar to gas cars or fossil fuel cars full of stuff and then you don't charge it every day right you don't fill your gas up every day unless you're going like you're going across country right, at a time right. you know so mm -hmm. that's all you have to do that's that's all it's like you can also you get basically a home plug it in charging at night. station plug, and charge at home and then it. you don't even have to go to the gas station to charge, like to fill up so to say yeah i, I watch a guy who drives a lot and uh electric car he's like yeah you gotta plan your trip sometimes so long trip you gotta plan that charging time yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, real big as long as you have but... charging stations, cares about planning, you know? That's just laziness, right? I think that's somebody, somebody famously said that. A lot of 
a lot of people in society will choose comfort over the right thing. If it's comfortable, if you can be, if it's easy, a lot of people choose that over saving the world. Oh, yeah, I have to I'm do an extra step. Never mind, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too much effort. I can't think of one advantage to a, a gas burning car. It makes noise, it makes pollution. What's so, what's so great about it? I mean, like people like to make noise, but they're they're assholes generally in life anyway. Hard to take. So yeah, that's just you know, hobbyist though, right? Yeah, making making rules isn't going to change these assholes. They're just going to be assholes. So okay. But the, the rules, all rules are for honest people anyway. Let's make it real, you know. Okay. Is that the next story? Yep, you're next. Okay. On bank failure news, now I think about economic news, is uh, economics is not a science, and people will tend to think that rich people are better at economics than poor people, which is a complete lie. They don't know anything more than anyone. I mean, anybody can read how economics kind of works, but you still come up with theories and they never really pan out because it's not a science. So we're gonna talk about bank failures. Why First Republic fails, are, are other banks to follow? First Republic Bank has become the second large regional bank with assets over 200 billion to fail in just a few weeks. Second large regional bank with assets of $200 billion to fail in just a few weeks. Like Silicon Valley Bank, it was seized by the government on March 10th. First Republic catered to a wealthy clientele, which helped it grow deposits by rap rapidly, but may have also contributed to its undoing. The bank's business model left it susceptible to the sudden rise in interest rates. Hmm. Since the collapse of Silicon Valley and Signature Bank same weekend, investors have wondered who's next. First Republic quickly rose to the top of that list, but investors and analysts worried about the banks such as Commercia and Key Corp, which also had a large number of accounts, which deposits above the federally insured level of $250,000. Why are we bailing out rich people? No, we're not. They the banks bail themselves out of these little failings. Here are some things to know about the collapse of First Republic. One, why did the First Republic fail? First Republic grew rapidly through deposits from wealthy individuals and companies. They used those deposits to make loans, including jumbo mortgages, when interest rates were at historically low levels in hopes of then convincing customers to expand into more profitable products like wealth management. Many of the bank's accounts had deposits well worth well north of the federally insured $250,000. North, that's a direction. I, I don't understand that sentence. Once Silicon Valley went under, clients pulled their money, fearful of depositors in danger. First Republic said last week that depositors had withdrawn more than $100 billion, most of it during a few days in mid-March. Too many First Republic customers showed their true royalties worth of their own fears, wrote Timothy Coffey, an analyst for Janie Montgomery Scott. What's more, the large loans on First Republic's books dropped in value as the Federal Reserve rapidly raised interest rates last year. So if the bank tried to sell those loans to raise capital, it would do so at a loss. Similar circumstances had doomed Silicon Valley Bank. First Republic planned to sell off unprofitable assets, including low-interest mortgages that provided wealthy clients. It also announced plans to lay off a quarter of the workforce, which totaled about 7,200 employees in late 2022. 
But those plans were seen as a little too, too little too late by analysts. In the middle of last week, it became clear that government intervention of First Republic was necessary. Georgia officials asked banks to summit bids for First Republic, and the bankers and regulators worked through the weekend to find a way forward. What banker, what bank or banks are next? For now, analysts expect the banking system will be spared any more large bank failures, saying the problems at Silicon Valley, Signature Bank, and First Republic were unique to these companies. We don't know why it happened. We just explained why it happened. Other mid-sized banks suffered a large withdrawals of deposits were forced to borrow from federal programs to shore up their balance sheets, but none were hit as hard as First Republic. For example, Commercia, based in Dallas, said deposits fell by $3.7 billion on March 9th, and the company borrowed $13 billion from federal programs to provide a buffer in excess of normal operating levels. Still, the company earned $324 million in the first quarter, oh, down slightly from the fourth quarter, but up from $189 million in the year ago quarter. Commercial shares dropped 37% in the week after Silicon Valley Bank failed, and it remained steady at since on Monday, the shares slipped almost 2%. Shares of most mid-sized banks fell in, but the drops were moderate compared to the steep double-digit losses from Monday on March 13th. The trading suggests little or no spillovers, consistent with the notion there was no surprise with the seizure of First Republic, said Krishna Gua at Evercore ISI. What happens to First Republic stockholders? First Republic stockholder stock traded at 115 on March 8th, then plummeted the following days and weeks and closed Friday at $3.15. That's a bit of a loss. About $20 billion in market value has been wiped out. Trading in the stock was halted before U.S. markets opened Monday. J.P. Morgan, which has agreed to buy the deposits at great discount, I'm sure, and most of the assets at First Republic stressed that is not assuming any of First Republic's corporate debt or preferred stocks. After the bank's failure, bondholders are among the last to get paid. Stockholders are the very end of the line. Deputy DIC does not give estimates on how likely any creditor is to get paid. But the agency did say this deposit insurance loan, which pays into, could take a $13 million estimated loss as a result of First Republic's failure. While conditions could change over time, but luckily there's nothing left over for the investors to recoup. Stockholders of Silicon Valley and Signature were wiped out. The outcome was just fine with one interested observer. While deposits are being protected, shale holders are losing investments. Said... President Joe Biden during a Rose Garden event focused on small businesses. Critically, taxpayers are not the ones that are on the hook. So, there you go. There's the story. It was caused by interest rates rising too fast for yep. the banks to handle. The banks had to pay more for their money. Their investments were drying up. Their deposits were drying up. They had no cash flow and nobody's going to step in. The other banks had to come in and sink money into this investment, again, made unprofitable by the government raising interest rates. Your story. Okay. Totally just magic. Economics. Yeah. The magic of economics. It's, it's a little bit simpler 
Maybe it sounds complicated. No, I'm just reality... saying it's not. It's not complicated, but people act like it's magic. Oh, we can't do anything but... to control it. Oh, I guess this. Oh, I'll say, darn. I'll say it again. Everything's balanced. It's kind of a balancing act, right? Now the government's like, hey, money's going to cost more. And the bank goes, okay. Now we got to find some place to invest this money that we still have. And, oh, shit, everybody's taking their money from our bank. President bank failures. Now we have no money to invest. Oh, the interest rate just went up again. Ah! So, yeah, that's what happened to them. <clears throat> All right. Sorry. In Russia, Georgia news, um, as midnight approached, uh, Russians in Georgia are reviving old tensions. As midnight approached on a recent Saturday evening in Tbilisi, the animated chatter and joy shouting of the city's central Rustavelli Avenue was almost all taking place in Russian. A married couple mm. from Rostovo on Don headed home from dinner. Past them, a group of friends from St. Petersburg were off on off for a late drink. Some acquaintances from Moscow. I have built almost the same life here as I did back home. Just the weather and food are better. The Daria 32, a graphic designer from St. Petersburg who had just attended a reading at a Russian language book club. Daria, who is one of the hundred thousands of Russians to have fled their homeland since Vladimir Putin, launched his full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, escaping intensifying repression, repression at home, and for men, the prospect of being a conscripted. Communities of Russian exiles have popped up everywhere, from Berlin to Bali. One of the biggest has formed in Georgia, across the Caucasus Mountains, range from the Russia and accessible to Russian citizens without a visa. The new arrivals have drastically altered the fabric of the capital, Tbilisi, with Russian bookshops, cafes, bars springing up all the city. At the same time, the influx of Russians here is fraught with more cultural and historical baggage than perhaps anywhere else. Georgia only gained independence from the Soviet rule in 1991. In 2008, Russia invaded the country and it is still the de facto occupier of 20% of Georgian territory. The majority of Russians arriving don't know where they are and how they are viewed as Russians here, due to the historical context. The Dabralki... Kavagdan... Oh god, here we go. Kavad... Uh, Yanni of Sovlab, an NGO devoted to rethinking Georgia's Soviet past. Said many Russians have a stereotypical post-colonial view of Georgians, drawn from the Soviet portrayals of the nation as a sultry land of dances, exotic taste, and lazy people. Many older Georgians are happy to speak to Russians and remember elements of the Soviet past fondly, particularly the figure of Joseph Stalin, originally from Georgia. But the younger generation often have a different view. When the first influx of Russians came last spring, the owners of the Dana Bar in Central Tbilisi became irritated that some Russian visitors took umbrage at being ordered to speak English instead of Russian or began defending Russians' war in Ukraine. Dude, you left the country to escape the war and then you're like, oh, but it's good that we're doing it though. Shut up. Like, <laughs> really. You're you're exiling yourself from a country over a war and you still side with the war. You should have just stayed there then if you loved it so much. They're probably afraid of getting gassed by Putin, so they say yeah. the right things. In response, the bar asked Russian guests to register for a visa in advance online by filling in a form that requires them to agree with a number of statements condemning Putin and Russia's expansion foreign policy. Passports are checked at their entrance and Russians are denied entry if they have not filled out their visa form. That's mostly a safety concern, right? As a private business, they don't need Russians 
pro pro Russia Russians going, yeah, Putin's great. Like, and then a bunch of Georgians in the bar being like, excuse me. And then you start a fight and then your bar is destroyed. I think it makes sense as a private business to be like, yeah, you need to make sure that you're not going to be causing some trouble in my establishment or you're not coming in. (laughs) Yeah. That's their prerogative as business owners. Check your politics at the door. For La Party, the ideal situation would be that no Russians at all lived in Georgia, at least while the conflict in Ukraine continues. I find it really hard, really offensive when they're having a good time. Every time we hear them having loud conversation in Russian, we just want to throw them into the river. We don't do that, but that's what we're doing in our hearts. <laughs> what a nice way to, <laughs> to, to freaking say that you want get rid of all the Russians. Such sentiments sound like a kind of xenophobic rhetoric that often greets large movements of migrants and refugees anywhere. However, many in Georgia feel that, given the historical baggage between the two countries, they are not obliged to be charitable to the new arrivals. While the first Russians who arrived in last spring tended to be politically active and opposition-minded, people who came after the mobilization were often less politically aware. Also, like, think about, like, they saw the black eyes. Native Americans and like, oh, let's make a town right next to the the reservation. That's not gonna. That's not good. It's a bunch of people who don't know that. Oh, this is our land now. Like, oh, this is what the Russians are doing, right? When are these Russians be gonna become? Right. This is what the Georgians are thinking, right? When are these Russians gonna become just residents? And then suddenly, Russian, like you know, Putin's gonna be like, there's a large Russian population in Georgia. Yeah. Better go <laughs> conquer it. Well, yeah, there's a whole bunch of Russian speakings in Georgia. He must protect them at all costs because of whatever reason. Who knows? I'm going to skip ahead to the end, which is just not all Georgians begrudge the new arrivals. These people are refugees running away from war. It's a moral obligation to let people run away from murder. We are also taking away people from the battlefield in Ukraine, said the president of Georgia. Or said ex-president of Georgia, between who was president between 2013 and 2018. But for others, the fear of creeping Russification of society three decades after Russian Georgia regained its independence feels like an existential threat. To us, all Russians are soldiers, whether they're carrying guns or whether they're carrying their money and soft power. Just by being here, they bring us more dependency on Russia. We suffered a lot of free ourselves from Russian dependency, and now it's coming back. Dun dun dun. Well, I mm. hope Georgia is able to spurn off Russian uh, invasion. I guess. I mean, it's it's not fair to the people, right? They just happen to live in a country that is Russia. A lot of those people yeah. didn't, you know. Oh boy, They're I really refugees. want to have a dictator as a president, you know. But, but they need to keep their politics too. Thank you very much for not, you know, for being kind to us. Yeah, us thanks for refugees. not throwing me into the river. Not- well, it wasn't for you Georgians. We would have won this war with Ukraine and their naked aggression by now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you see our comments, by the way? We had a comment the other day. It was obviously Are we going to have to start doing comment review? Well, no, I did a comment. I, 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 you got to read my response. I'm not going to tell you to you here. But uh, they were criticizing, uh, I guess, our take on Russian aggression. Oh, yeah. And say, saying that Crimea wanted uh, self-determination. And my response was, oh, is Putin allowing them self-determination? Is that what he's doing? Oh, okay. His land grab was all about Crimea's self-determination. Huh. 
Okay. I'll accept oh, that opinion. I, I don't you live seem, there. You I don't seem know. like nice people, but you might want to do a little bit more research. There you go. Don't yeah. don't ridic really, don't ridicule his comment. I like. No, comments. no. I was just I, that was the one you're talking about. That's I, all I'm saying. I like it. I like it. Like I, I like the comment. It invites debate. All right. So now on to assholes in a wheelchair. If you mean anybody in a wheelchair, you just like you know somebody probably just pushed them off a cliff. It'd be okay. That guy is the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott. Two decades. Oh. <clears throat> Texas governor calling a slaughtered family illegal immigrants. Is it true conservatism? It's a play to win G GOP's jerk primary. Yep. This is from the Daily Beast writer. His opinion, not mine, but it probably will line up with mine. This is Matt Lewis. Two decades after Texas governor George W. Bush was elected president on the compassionate conservative platform. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is going out of his way to stress uncompassionate conservatism. The latest and arguably lowest example occurred on Sunday when Abbott described a slaughtered family of five as illegal immigrants. It should be noted that at least one of the victims may have been a permanent U.S. resident. That's in, that's in parentheses. By stressing the citizenship status of the victims, Abbott, who was announcing a $50,000 reward for information about the alleged gunmen, seemed to be suggesting that their families didn't matter as much as the lives of real America. As Shannon Watts, former founder of Mom's Demand Action, tweeted, it felt like an attempt to dehumanize the victims, which is exactly what it was. In case you missed the story, the details are important. On Friday, a family of five, including an eight-year-old boy, was massacred execution style. The shootings reportedly occurred after the victims asked a neighbor to quit firing his AR-15 in the front yard because it was keeping their baby awake. Yeah, I'm an asshole, I'm the asshole. They still haven't caught this cocksucker, by the way. He's on the loose. Oh. Wow, really? He's, oh, yeah, he's a... Uh, well, I'll give his yeah, name. Yeah, well, then he I'll knows he did something wrong, right? Because he's ran for it. Well, I said they... Well, I mentioned the $50,000 reward is still out there. People do evil things, but you might expect to look at... According to the police, the neighbor had been drinking and said, I'll do what I want in my front yard. Air 15. You need a fucking Air 15 for you, piece of shit. Evil people do evil things, but you might expect elected officials to respond with more humanity. Keep in mind, this isn't some fringe right-wing Yahoo on the internet we're talking about. It's a governor of Texas. He's 65 years old, according to the official website. He was also longest-serving attorney general in Texas history, and his wife is a granddaughter of Mexican immigrants. There is someone who clearly ought to know better. What is more, it's not like Abbott made a mistake or simply misspoke. His extraneous description of the victims was written in a prepared statement and mentioned it again in a tweet where the statement was embedded. It's worth, it's worth asking why the governor in Texas was going to go out of his way to stress the victim's immigration status. I think there are a couple of possible answers, none of which are acceptable. The first possibility is that it was a strategic and partisan. Issues have built-in skews. So if we're talking about mass shootings, Republicans are losing. But if you're talking about illegal immigration, Republicans are winning. Ergo, it makes sense to frame the shooting in a way that says, Guns don't kill people, legal immigrants kill people. <laughs> yeah. Truth be told, I love that. Guns don't kill people, so people kill people. So let's keep those guns away from those people. How about that? Yeah. Hey. Truth be told. 
I see you so logical. I don't know why. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. what, 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 what? I can't shoot my, I can't shoot 5,000 pumpkins. You know, that's all they do. They blow pumpkins with their little pumpkin shooters and think it's just a sport. You know how many I people guess. are killed by bullets falling out of the sky after like 4th of July or New Year's or whatever? People oh, yeah, shoot I don't know. bullets in the sky and then it comes back and hits them. <laughs> Yeah, what goes up must come down. Yeah. Truth be told, Abbott could have advanced this narrative more effectively by stressing the fact that the elite, that the lead shooter was an illegal immigrant. That would have been the smart thing to do. But again, you can't say somebody's guilty until proven it. He wouldn't have cared. Yeah. If it was a bunch of white people, he would have said it. Now, maybe a morally bankrupt person would put political ambition and have decency at time with this. But the truth is, Abbott merely is responding to the same invectives that have led so many modern Republicans to act like jerks. Jerks. This is a symptomatic problem. Ideally, political leaders would authentically be compassionate. Absent that, we might hope for a culture that demands at least act humane. Today, we have entered a much more pervasive, perverse environment where Republican leaders must be mean, or at least pretend to be. I mean, a family of five was murdered, including a child, and the Republican governor of Texas wants to, apropos of nothing, stress their immigration status. Perhaps I should be angry, but at this point I'm simply depressed. Could it be that the Republican Party is now completely and irreversibly committed to heartless culture war conservatism? Don't answer that question. In case there was ever a doubt, Abbott's behavior is proof that paced George W. Bush, the GOP's family values do stop at the Rio Grande. Oh yes. Maybe listen to the song, well it's been shortened to Deporte, it's what the Los Gatos Canyon plane crash. It was written by uh, Arlo, uh, Woody Guthrie. It's been re it's uh, it's a song about a plane crash of uh, illegal, as they call them these days, illegal immigrants. Back then, they just called them deporte, deportee, deportee, right? So a plane a plane crash full of deportees, and that's all they called them in the paper. Ah, uh, they weren't really people; they were deportees. You're sorry. Okay. Culture news. We're going to talk about how the Oscars is reinventing how they're dealing with stuff. They're overhauling their rules. They're overhauling oh the rules after last year's Oscar controversies. Being Ruckenheimer, Andrea Riseborough, and Michelle Yeoh. The Academy of Motion mm -hmm. Pictures and Arts and Sciences has announced its most significant overall rules around campaigning for Oscars. Fresh after controversy, including Andrea's Riseboro's controversial nomination for Best Actress. Changes and clarifications come after several incidents flagged as possible breaking the rules around the campaign nomination at this year's Academy Awards. These include Riseboro's nomination for her performance to Leslie. After an aggressive guerrilla campaign that saw actors including Kate Winslet, Amy Adams, and Gwyneth Paltrow endorse the low-budget indie film, the British actor had not been considered a contender for a nomination, some just suggesting her inclusion had come at the expense of black actors. Other incidents include Dom Top Gun Maverick Jerry Berkenheimer hosting a party at Beverly Hills in late February where several Oscar voters were present. Academy bylaws say that after Oscar nominations have been released, 
campaigns cannot invite members and their parties, dinners, lunches, or even other non-screening events that promote nominated films. Eventual Best Actress winner Michelle Yeoh on the final day of the Oscar. Shared screen grabs of a Vogue story that's praised her performance and specifically outlined by fellow nominee Blanchett. Not win. References to competitors on social media by nominees or films is not allowed. Yo later deleted the post. Riseboro retained her nomination, but just before this year's Oscar ceremony, the Academy president, Janet Yang, said the controversy was a wake-up call. It meant the organization would review campaign regulations to make sure they reflect our changing environment, meaning no more social media. Oh, meaning a lot more on social after investigation of the campaign around Riseboro's nomination, Academy CEO Bill Kramer said the organization had determined the activity in question does not rise to the level that the film nomination did. However, you discover social media and outreach campaigning taxes that cause concern. New changes include clarification of around private events and gathering where ac- Academy members are present. Now, the Academy will allow individual events that are not formal for consideration events. Studios and companies are prohibited from funding, organizing, or enforcing them. Rules around social media remain. The Academy new regulations state that the members cannot use social media to encourage or discourage members to vote for any picture, performance, or achievement. Voters will no longer be able to speak to the media about their choice. Regulations not discuss your vote preferences and other members' preferences in the public forum. This includes comparing or ranking motion. Voting. This also includes speaking with press anonymously. So basically, do not make a list of what you think are your top 10 films. As an academy vote, people will be like, oh, well, if that academy is. I'll also vote for that. Let's all just vote for the same thing. Humans are sheep, people. You have to <laughs> actively fight against the sheep mentality. I'm telling you. Okay? People like to do what everyone else is doing, the fact pressure whatever you want to call it right. so it that it makes sense to make sure that nobody knows what you're doing nobody knows what you're even that can cause let's say uneducated vote for something oh i don't even yeah. know this film i'll just vote for it people do that all the yeah. time and vote why wouldn't it be the mm-hmm. different oscars studios can now only put on four hosted screenings usually by a celebrity in the pre-nomination period, but new goals allow for an unlimited number of Q panels throughout the voting long throughout the voting season, so long as there is no host attached to the event. So you can have Q and A's, but there better not be a celebrity there. <laughs> there better not be yeah. some person from the film there. Okay. Some salesman, some slicky, yeah. yeah. Academy's board of governors are completely barred from hosting private events, gathering screenings, or moderating an event unless they're direct in film. Academy has revised the regulation 96 the Oscars clarity, fairness, and transparency of how motion pictures and individuals directly eligible motion pictures. Academy announced statement on Tuesday. Can't they just say film? <laughs> they said motion pictures 50 times in that sentence. Right. Didn't they just say film once? Um, Anyway, (laughs) so we'll see how much this doesn't change anything. As honestly, I'm so done with 
like yeah the politics the oscar yeah all of them are just it seems it does it seem like it's getting more political in other words or less political instead of like saying you know i would have voted for that film but there were some bad tweets about it yeah that would seem irrelevant to me i was like i mean twitter social media is no place for criticism politics anything it's for how's your family pictures of your kids People don't know shit. Twitter, I don't even know how Twitter survives all this garbage. I really don't even see the point of it. Do you it ever? It off of anger, so. Yeah, that's what it is. Really angry, and then a bunch of other people are angry at the thing. Comment for hours and, and have full conversations in your comments about the thing. Pissing contest. With each other. It's happened to me. I, it's I a pissing said, contest. I'll bring this up again because I think it's funny and I'm sure I'll get some yeah, back for it. Yeah. But what? I some some a person of color posted oh. that English people or British people are the worst white people. Person of color. Okay. Oh, okay. As a, as a fellow uh, biracial person, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Scottish and Irish people are fine, and Wales too. The English are the worst white people. Okay, right? That's what I said. Completely yeah, well, sarcastic. No. Now you think English people no, are really great at banter. But understand that I'm being sarcastic. But they did not, and I got comments for three months on that post. There you go, man. You three gotta understand. After I posted it, I still got comments. You're despicable. There's somebody with my name. It's probably a bot, right? But they were like, I'm yeah. I'm ashamed to share my name with you. Literally my Ooh. exact name. Surname and first name. Exact same. Because you, what, were making a joke about English people being sensitive? About being the worst. <laughs> English people are the worst. Oh Ooh. my god, I can't believe you said that. You know that. if I did an accent, if I did an accent, any accent, I could, any accent in the world, and and an accent that would not offend anybody would be British. Because if I did a British accent, nobody, if I did an Indian accent, Indian people would be, oh my god, he's doing an Indian. If I'm doing a, a French accent, maybe. Yeah. But definitely a British accent. I will not offend anyone. Because it's like the Cockney Cockney yeah. But you know what? I see people who legitimately do not have that accent and they're English faking it. Russell Brand for once. Totally faking that accent. Totally faking it. There's a guy, there's a guy your reactor I watch. He's kind of an irritating reactor. He's he's Indian, right? He's an Indian with a British accent, right? So he, maybe you know, he's just maybe. British. But he's got a Cockney accent. Of all the accents to have, a Cockney accent. It's like, dude, if you're going to adopt an accent, pick a real accent, you know? Maybe he's from Pronounce London. your T's. Pronounce your T's. There's a T in English language. Stop skipping over the London. T's. I don't think, I think he... I think I don't know what it is, but it's a it's pronounce your T's. There's T's in English language, folks. Sorry, that's my I little diatribe. Pet peeve. Uh, anyways, <laughs> to this day in history, isn't that Cockney where you don't pronounce your T's? That's a lot of accents. They skip right over them, but that's not as proper English accent. Anyway, that's my little diatribe on that. <laughs> you were, I'm sorry, you were subjugated to those. Xenophobes can't take a little criticism about their culture. I just thought it was funny that, but that's why Twitter's popular. That will happen. One of these days, I'll do my John Cleese diatribe. Is from uh, from the Freemason sketch. It only takes about thirty seconds. It involves yelling, though. 
I'll do an accent a week. I'll go from the least offensive to the most offensive. This day in history, please. This day in history. <laughs> this day in history. I will do everything in an accent. No, I'm just kidding. Renaissance art artist in 1519. Renaissance artist Leonardo da Vinci died in Clau, France, and this date in 1519. In 1536, Henry VIII had his second wife, Anne Boleyn, committed to the Tower of London on charges of adultery and incest, although likely innocent. She was later convicted and beheaded. Henry VIII was an asshole. The King's James Version of the Bible was first published on this day in 1611. Sorry for screaming that. Uh... In 1803, the United States purchased the Louisiana Territory. This is the anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase, the 220th anniversary. Uh, the Louisiana, Louisiana Territory being purchased from France at a, least an, a rate of less than three cents per acre for 820,000 square miles. In 1892, Manfred Baron von Richthofen, Germany's top aviator and leading ace of World War I, was born in Braslau, Germany, now Wachlau, Poland. Wow. He was born in Poland, but in, in those days, it was part of Germany. Hmm. Okay. In 1903, American pediatrician Benjamin Spock wrote the number one number of influential books who wrote a number of influential books in child rearing, notably Common Sense Book in Baby Child Care, which sold more than 50 million copies worldwide, was born. So this day, 1903, Dr. Spock was born. In 1920, the Negro, the Nation, Negro National League, founded by Ruth Foster, held its first game. That's baseball. League for black players who could not play in the major leagues. 1920. In 1921, Bengali director Saji Ray, Satyajit Ray, who, who brought Indian cinema to world recognition with the Apu trilogy, was born in Calcutta. In 1946, an attempted person escaped by six inmates at Alcatraz resulted in two days of violent fighting, which be known as the Battle of Alcatraz. In 1935, the peasants of Luzon, Philippines, rose up against oppressive land tenancy laws. No details there, but I'm sure they were slaughtered. <laughs> I just thought, I don't see it. Well, maybe they weren't. Maybe they just slaughtered landowners. In 2000, U.S. President Bill Clinton announced that a highly accurate GPS was made available to public. The satellite signals had previously been degraded for non-military use. So... Happy anniversary, 23 years of actually knowing exactly where you are in GPS instead of being 100 meters off. Yay, before I, I know where to turn left on when I'm walking down the street. Before then, and if they if they ever decide to scramble them again, your GPS will be completely useless and people will be just smacking into each other. <laughs> Osama bin Laden in 2011. This is the day Osama bin Laden was killed by U.S. forces in Abbottabad, Pakistan. 2015, Prince Charlotte, Princess Charlotte Elizabeth Diana of Cambridge, the second child of Prince William and Duke of Cambridge and Catherine Duke, Duchess of Cambridge, was born in London. Uh, 
So there you are, Princess Charlotte. And on this day in baseball in 1939, Lou Gehrig's 2,130 game hitting streak and our uh, playing streak ended. A 21-30 hitting streak would be amazing. No, he just played in 21. 30 games consecutively. The record stood until 1995 when it was broken by Cal Ripken Jr. Other birthdays today, David Beckham is born in 1975. Damn. And Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, American professional wrestler, was born in 1972. He already covered side, side, side yeah, I already pronounced his name, the Indian film director. In 1995, Manfred Bear, we already covered that. We already covered the birthdays. What day is it today? It is National Foster Care Day. So go take care of a child that has nobody else. Um, World Tuna Day is May 2nd. National Teacher Appreciation Day. So appreciate it, teacher. I insist. National Life Insurance Day. Don't know what to do with that one. They have some life insurance. Uh, <laughs> people have money. Yay! Build another building downtown for corporate people. National Truffle Days, May 2nd. And those are the days that are today. All right, that's been Alison Heger from Europe talking about more protests in France and how Russians shouldn't be in Georgia, or should they? I don't know. We'll see in the future. And we'll see you next time. Put out the good linen for these folks, okay? Be nice to them. Because you're going to be taken over by Putin. So, this is Roger. (laughs) Outer battling technology and my own creeping dementia. On May 2nd, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.